This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is Stephen Hyden, author of Twilight of the Gods, A Journey to the End of Classic Rock, and you are listening to Rock and Roll Archaeology. DIY and How Studios presents Deeper Digs in Rock, part of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll. Now, on with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Deeper Digs and Rock, a production of Pantheon Podcasts. Christian Swain here. I am the rock and roll archaeologist, and I'm behind the mic in San Francisco today. Thank you all for joining us. In Deeper Digs, we go a little further, dig a little deeper in our exploration of rock and roll. We discuss the music, the culture, the technology, and the part I like best, we get a chance to meet some really incredible people. Uh, This is the companion show to the Rock and Roll Archaeology podcast, our episodic overview of rock history. And I will go ahead and let it slip. We are closing in on a new chapter of the main show. Uh, It is going to be awesome, going to be killer. Stay tuned. PantheonPodcast.com is our home on the interwebs, and uh, you can find all of our podcast and show notes right there. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter on the the social media. We love hearing from you. Uh, Don't be a stranger. Now, if you're like us, you have already sold your soul for rock and roll, so hey, why not donate a few bucks to Rock and Roll Archaeology? It uh, would be much appreciated. Uh, Right on the top of our main page, you can find our support the uh, show's link. Uh, You can go to Patreon and uh, donate there. If you're a fashionista, click on our Public link. Uh, uh, Get some of that awesome rock and roll archaeology swag. And finally, if you enjoy our humble podcast endeavor, then please go ahead, tell a friend about Pantheon Podcasts. All right, thank you. That takes care of the housekeeping. So let's meet today's guest. Take me now, baby, here as I am. Pull me close, try and understand. Desirous hunger is the fire I breathe. Love is a banquet on which we feed Ms. Meredith Oaks is our special guest today, and we're really excited to have her with us. She's a talk show host and DJ at Sirius XM Radio, commentator for NPR's All Things Considered, author, journalist, photographer, musician, sailor, and world traveler. We're going to mostly talk about the author part of Meredith's very impressive resume today because she just put out an awesome new book, Rock and Roll Woman, The 50 Fiercest Female Rockers. We highly recommend this one. Meredith is a strong writer who knows her topic well, and she throws in lots of rock and roll attitude, too. Rock and Roll Woman is a great read, a solid addition to your rock and roll library, fun and informative, surprising sometimes, and it has tons of great photography. Something we especially like. Uh, Meredith opened the book with a profile of Sister Rosetta Tharp, uh, who was not just the original rock and roll woman. Rosetta Tharp was one of the original rock and rollers, period. You might recall back in episode two of our Rock and Roll Archaeology podcast, we talked about Sister Rosetta and the key role she played getting Little Richard's musical career underway. Sister Rosetta helped get the whole crazy rock and roll thing started, and it's way past time she got some recognition for that. So, big props to Meredith for getting that in, right at the front of the book. We'll get into that and talk about some other fierce female rockers in our discussion. So, how about it? Let's do this. Let's meet a rock and roll woman herself, 
Ms. Meredith Oaks. Welcome to Deeper Digs in Rock, Meredith Oaks. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, yeah, it's great to have you. Uh, the, the book's really interesting, so we'll dive right into it. Uh, my first question is, how does one narrow down a list of musicians to only 50 without going insane? Uh, we we all, myself and my editors at Sterling, we nearly did go insane and, and have uh, jousting, uh, wrestling, bloodbath. I mean, it was a, <laughs> a terrifying process. Seriously, it was real. That was the hardest part was trying to narrow it down to 50 because there are so many. There are so many more. Um, and so to that and in each chapter, there's a little section of influenced and influences. So at least in those spots, I got to... Throw in a more, couple of other names, right? Yeah, some more people who deserve to be in the canon, and and but really, yeah, fifty. It was difficult. I can imagine. Uh, that's just. I. I. I mean, I. I would assume that you probably maybe started uh, culminating a list, uh, just a personal list uh, of uh, people that have uh, influenced you. Um, you know, throughout your life. Yeah, I mean, in a way, exactly. I've kind of been making this list in my head my whole life, and of course, it it keeps changing. It changes daily. Um, but I really started with Sister Rosetta Tharp because I've always been a fan. Uh, and she's someone who was so, and still really isn't very widely known, even though there's, there's been a great book written about her by Gail Wald. Uh, she had her own postage stamp in 1998 and every now and then some YouTube clip surfaces or an article is written about her, but really she is such a, a foundation of, of rock and roll. And she was inducted into the Rock Hall of Fame this year, which we found out which about is, last which year. Is a, which is a crime. Yeah, 80 <laughs> years after her first record came out. That's all it took. You don't think she should have been in, like, the first class or Absolutely. the second class? Uh, uh, Number one. I would have, that, she would have been my first uh, person. But it was, you know, what, 86, 87 when the Rock Hall started. Yeah. So yeah. they probably weren't thinking too much. And she had just died in the 70s. So it, it took she, a while. She didn't live long. I think she was, like, oh. 56, 57 years old when she passed. It yeah, and she didn't even have a, a grave marker for a long time so yeah that's in your book i didn't know that until like the late 90s is that right yeah which is so um shocking i mean you think about oh like much older blues men and blues women like in the book also janice joplin uh like a few weeks before she dies she she pays for bessie smith's uh headstone another great blues artist yeah, who died yeah. way too young in a car wreck and um and so you think about much older artists, but this was the 90s. Why did this amazing woman have no grave marker? So now she does. So she, so the book starts there because yeah. uh, it means a lot to me. And she meant a lot to everyone who, you know, invented rock. Elvis, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, Johnny Cash, all these guys name dropped her uh, often. And, and so I think she's a really important figure and uh, a link from gospel and blues and uh, the South to the North and it, through, you know, all sorts of American historical ties into her story. Yeah. You couldn't have picked any, anyone better to start with. Definitely. Well, thank you. We'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. Hey, diggers, a quick pause in the action to tell you about a new solution we are talking about here at Rock and Roll Archaeology. If you're a contact user like me, you may be interested in Simple Contacts, the most convenient way to renew your contact lens prescription and reorder anywhere and in minutes. Need to renew your prescription? Take a five-minute Simple Contact vision test online. It'll then be reviewed by a licensed doctor, and then they will ship out your new lenses. All you need is your current contacts, an internet connection, and 10 feet of space. And if you have an unexpired prescription, 
and just need more contacts, just upload a photo of your doctor's information and order new lenses. Simple Contacts does all the hard work for you by taking care of verifying and confirming your prescription. This is so convenient, fast, reliable. It's a five-star experience. All brands and lens types are available. And most importantly, Simple Contacts saves you money. Again, check out Simple Contacts and get $20 off by going to simplecontacts.com slash rockandroll. Or just enter code rockandroll. And that's R-O-C-K-N-R-O-L-L at checkout. Give it a try. You'll thank me later. Let's get back to the show. Now, of course, there, there's just no way we could spend time with all the ladies who rock in your book. Uh, so I'm going to pick several that strike me and what our audience would like to hear. Uh, so I want to start with the rocker on the first page. Well, actually, the cover page. So tell us about Meredith Oaks, because you have quite a history in this wonderful music uh, that we're all exploring. <laughs> you know, um, like how I did that, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's, that was good. Uh, I... Uh, I started playing guitar when I was about 11. So I've been playing music most of my life. And I just, I've always loved music. I mean, I loved listening to the radio when I was a little girl, you know, even, even before I started playing it, I was the kid who begged for piano lessons and my parents finally bought me a guitar. Um, I think they figured, well, you know, it's, if the piano doesn't work out, it's this big thing in your house. It's expensive (laughs) guitar. We could, we, I think they rented a guitar. This is how like, Okay. They were so like noncommittal. Right. <laughs> they weren't sure about your talent, huh? Well, they I think they wanted me to be a doctor or a lawyer. What they used to do is well, <laughs> yeah, I, I, there, actually there I know that. I've been a musician. Uh, uh, exactly. I don't know. Today you do have parents who are like, oh no, they you know, they put them in dance school, they've been gymnastics and uh, you know, and then uh, you know, get them music lessons because, you know, Jesus, they might make it on American Idol one day. It, that's that's amazing to me. And I, I have I nieces who are young. They're 12 and uh, 14 now. And they, they have been encouraged to follow their creative muse. But yeah, I mean, in the in the 70s and the 80s, you, you, you've done not so much. My mom would find these articles in the paper and clip them out about like doctors who were in a band on the side and lawyers who were in a theater troupe and like, <laughs> you know, sort of wow. slip them under really my bedroom door. <laughs> yeah, it, you it was, can do both. This could be a hobby. It's a good Exactly. hobby but it's just a hobby right but to, to their credit i mean they had no idea and neither did i actually that you could make money or make a living at all doing anything creative so yeah, i understand where they were coming from well let's face it uh you know uh, the the profession of musician um you know in the annals of history is not exactly uh the flying in jets and living the quote-unquote rock star dreams so uh, we we grew up in a very very special time um i'm not sure how long that will last uh but it has for the last uh you know 60 70 years uh it's kind of you know, grown into, uh, you know, uh, I guess sort of a, a respectable profession. I'm really glad you said that, too, because people think that being on tour, being a musician is really fun and it's glamorous. <laughs> and I've done it. For, I did it for years. I, I was in many bands and at that level where you're not famous, but you're making a you're an OK living. You're feeding yourself and you can, you know, get enough money to stay in a motel. Um but it's so it's such a grind. I mean, it's really hard. You have to really, really love it to do that kind of thing. And so it's you know, I, I just I want people to know it's like it is what they say, like an hour of glory and 23 hours of a drag. It is. It is. And, uh, uh, it, I, you know, even though, um, uh, you know, some of these guys do, you know, now have, uh, you know, the best tour buses and fly private and stay at the best hotels. You know, I still talk to them and it's still it's still a drag. There's still you know, it's still a lot of um, of tiring work for that uh, one or two hours of stage time when you. Yeah. You know, you actually get the payback of uh, why you're you're doing this. But, you know, the thing that I've discovered from talking to so many of uh, the uh, the great uh, musicians and and those that work with them uh, in the past is this singularity of direction, uh, this no plan B. Uh, This is the one and only thing that they uh, felt that they could ever 
ever do. And, um, you know, so that's, that's, that's what you do, I guess. So now I think you also, uh, you know, you, you played, haven't played music uh, all your life, but you also uh, work in radio. Yes, I'm very, I feel lucky that that I had, I had a plan B, I had a plan C, I had a plan D. <laughs> I, had, I had, there were a lot of things I, that interested me. I think your me. parents helped instill that in you, it sounds They probably like. <laughs> did. Um, but I, there were a lot of things that interested me. And I, I went and studied political science and I wanted to join the foreign service. And so uh, when I got out of college, I took the exam and I was all ready to like be assigned to some country I'd never heard of and go serve my country in that way. Um, and then I got a job on the Howard Stern show. No. Totally random. Yeah. It was in, he was not, um, he wasn't, it, it wasn't, you know, big, I mean, he was pretty big at the time in New York and Philly and certain areas. You um, worked for, you worked for Baba Bowie then? I worked with Baba Bowie <laughs> and Jackie, the joke man. And, yeah. uh, and Robin, Fred Robin. Yeah, yeah. And Robin. I love them all. And I, I worked there for two years. Actually, I answered a, um, an ad in the paper that said, uh, van driver wanted at K Rock, and I I like sent in a resume, and they called me, and they're like, you you have the, all this education, why do you want to drive the van? And I said, I just want to work here. I I will I'll work in I'll work anywhere. I'll make coffee. I'll do whatever. And so they said, well, we we don't want you to drive the van, but we have an opening on the Stern Show. Do you know it? And I said, oh yes, which I didn't. <laughs> Really? I mean, I knew who he was, but I hadn't listened to him. And, mm -hmm. and then I listened and I thought, all right, that's this, I like this. This is making me laugh. And he's still, he's still, every time I, I listen to him still, he makes me laugh to this day. Oh, one of the greatest truth tellers in all of America. Yep. And still going. Yeah. 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 Uh, amazing. Uh, all right. So let's dive a little bit more into the book. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about Sister Rosetta Tharp as you start with. Uh, and uh, like the early rock and rollers, especially, you know, the Sun Guys, um, but all of them, Elvis, Cash, Jerry Lee, Chuck, Little Richard and Buddy, um, who took the various older forms of music and mixed them together together you add wanda jackson so why her if you only have 50 spots well because you know we have sister rosetta tharp with the gospel um we have big mama thornton who is one of the greatest blues belters of all time mm -hmm. and i i wanted a country rockabilly artist in this book. And I had to really fight for her because um, I was the only one who wanted her in. And I've, I actually, I know her and I've interviewed her many times. My, I've been in bands that open for her um, and I've gotten to know her and her late husband over the years. And knowing her history, I mean, she was really at the beginning of, of rock and roll. And she dated Elvis, which is not why she's in the book at all. But Elvis said to her, you've got this voice and you can sing more than country music. You can sing this music that is, I mean, there wasn't even really a name for it yet. And um, I, she's just this missing piece of, of rock, I think. And um, she's been so inspirational to uh, people like Rosie Flores, who's a phenomenal guitar player um and she kept reinventing herself she went from country to rockabilly back to country to christian music for many years then in the uh you know she's in her 60s 70s now she's 80 she starts working with jack white and making these these rock records basically that are band music uh, yeah yeah amazing mm -hmm. so it, to me you know she's she's just such a she's such a she's part of like the the missing piece of the puzzle where country and sex with all this other stuff and she's someone who continued to reinvent herself and just keeps going and you know seeks out younger artists and really an inspirational person yeah now you know part of the book is that you are um uh you're you know uh, exploring and um have brought some maybe um overlooked uh artist or or a little obscure uh and 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 beyond wanda we'll, we'll get to a few uh more of them um but if sister rosetta is the foundation of you know your personal hall of fame um this next lady is the altarpiece and, and i'm not sure there's more one can add to all the accolades and honorifics but i'm going to ask you to do so anyway and of course i'm referring to the queen herself the recently departed uh uh to the gospel course in the sky aretha franklin 
who, by the way, my next book is all about Aretha Franklin. So, oh, so we were, you know, what the last question is, you know, what you're up to next is you're writing a book about uh, the Queen of Soul, huh? Yes, she is. And also, she is a really important part of, of rock and roll as well. She is another person who, um, you know, came from gospel music. Uh, yeah, straight but, from the church. I mean, you know, her, oh, her, most, most people don't know her father was a, a, a almost uh, a, as an important figure in the church as Martin Luther King. Absolutely. They were, they were like best friends. I mean, they, he was, uh, they were very involved in civil rights. Aretha was from the time she was a girl. I mean, Martin Luther King was in her, her living room, uh, with her dad. And also then there was Art Tatum playing piano in her living room and yeah, yeah. Dinah Washington singing. And so she, you know, she grew up around all this, this incredible like vortex of, of talent and social consciousness. Um, but she also in the sixties, uh, she and Jerry Wexler of Atlantic Records, who had had his eye on her from the time she was 14 and 15 years old. Um, she first signed with Columbia, and uh, they tried to maybe make her into, uh, um, you know, kind of a standards uh, singer, right? Right. But to their credit, I mean, that's how they broke artists back then. They they had them pr record these songs. Um, and she also during that time, Aretha got to work with an incredible variety of band leaders and studio musicians. So she was totally self-taught. And those years of Columbia really like honed her chops and sharpened her um, her studio skills. I mean, she was a genius right out of, you know, from birth, basically, with perfect pitch and could recreate anything and a, a perfect mimic when she wanted to be. Um, and also, of course, that voice. I mean, th yeah. there was nothing like that. Um, but so but the Columbia years, I think, are are often uh, maligned, you know, but there there's actually a lot of really great songs in there. But yeah, when she, of course, when she signs with Atlantic Records um, and she goes to Muscle Shoals for one day, <laughs> which is a very classic story that's in the book. Um, about how uh, Rick Hall and her Aretha's husband at the time got into like a fist fight and there was a musician involved and it was a disaster. But she ends up recording with some of the Swampers um, who were playing with everyone, Rolling Stones and uh, Wilson Pickett and everybody. So she, Aretha, again, like she shifts to rock and roll. And um, then she makes this record, this live album at the Fillmore, and it turns out that rock and roll hippies love Aretha Franklin. And so she always kind of – she knew how to how to parlay her talent in, to appeal to this wide audience. And um, and the rock audience really embraced her, and she continued on that, that rock and roll journey. And so I, that's why she's in the book. I mean she's, she's, just, she's a colossal figure in American music, but people don't often talk about her, her rock and roll. Uh, history. They kind of overlooked that a little bit. Well, you know, because of the the deep uh, gospel ba background that uh, that she has, and uh, you know, as you mentioned, um, you know, Jerry Wexler and Atlantic Records, that uh, you know, really kind of put her into probably the her, the best position where where she could really really shine. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, you get into the the mid to late seventies, and she kind of you know uh, seems to have uh, waned a little bit as in popularity, and then you know, two white guys from Saturday Night Live put her into a movie and reinvigorate her career again uh, into that blues side of things. And, right, the uh, Blues Brothers, where she she yeah. totally she steals a show oh, in a no, movie that's my starring the whole movie. Yeah, John Belushi and Ray Charles are in that movie, and it's Aretha who James steals the Brown show. The James <laughs> Brown is in it, and Aretha steals the show. I mean, it's it's remarkable. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. So, but yeah, she but that whole the the gospel part of rock and roll. There is no rock without gospel. There's no rock without blues. Right. Um, and so I, I feel like these women, they all belong together in this this tome. Yeah, well, and you know, you didn't list it uh, in, uh, uh, you know, in a uh, a listing order. It was strictly you do do it chronological, but uh, but not uh, you know you're you're not picking out the fifty best from fifty to one. So uh, so the next woman I want to bring up is a favorite of mine, and I'm glad she made uh, your list. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, thank goodness. <laughs> and I like she comes just after Aretha because I think she is as big a talent as the Queen of Soul. And she may be the most dynamic performer in the, the, the 50. And one that sometimes gets lost. But if you were to just narrow it to pure rock and roll and to rank them, uh, I think she should be given serious consideration for number one. And that's Tina Turner. Tina Turner is is such an um, she's there's such a remarkable human being. Uh, her story is so powerful. I mean, yeah, it, it was turned into the movie, uh, which everyone's seen, and her her memoir, yeah, and all that original Me Too there, huh? Oh my goodness! I mean, and and her bravery at leaving Ike Turner and Ike Turner, brilliant rock and roller. I mean, again, he was one of the pivotal figures in in rock music. But but Tina, the power of her. Um, the personal power, the musical power, uh, her choices. And plus, she always saw herself as a rock and roller. Like when Ike and Tina Review went out uh, to Europe with the Rolling Stones and, and the Beatles, and this is true of Ronnie Spector too, they all fell in love with Tina. And so when Tina left Ike, it was those guys, David Bowie and Mick Jagger, who remembered her and said and recognized her extraordinary talent and like helped her come back to life and have a career after this this disastrous divorce and the poverty she lived in and uh, all that. Um, so yeah, she. I mean, I mean, so she identified with these rock guys. They identified with her. Uh, it was like a mutual love. And so yeah, she's in. And she she'll say. I mean, she would say, "I'm a rock chick." Yeah. And she in the '80s when she was wearing those fishnets and the denim skirts, the leather jackets, she picked that stuff out herself. People were saying, "No, dress like this." She's like, "No, I'm a rocker, and this is." what I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's just, uh, you know, uh, incredible voice, incredible performer, uh, absolutely electric every time you see her. Uh, even, uh, even I, I think she's over 80 now, and uh, I, I know she's recently kind of retired, but, you know, in the last couple of years, if you caught her performance, uh, you, you know, you'd be just uh, amazed that she wasn't 25 years old. Who I, I want to know who uh, who in their sixties could run around not just the stage <laughs> but, but a crane in five inch <laughs> Christian Louboutins. This woman is was so I mean she would run out on that crane that swept the audience and run back and forth. She loved the interaction of the crowd, which is also so rock and roll uh, and also roots and gospel. You know, but she who could do that? It, it, it's just like a like she's a stunt woman she's amazing yeah it's absolutely amazing all right so here's the first fairly obscure act i want to discuss with you and that is the first all-female rock band to be signed to a major label and that's fanny 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 only in the last few years have people finally started to realize how important fanny is um although uh, june millington who i talked with for the book has been doing extraordinary work for decades. I mean, she was involved with the women's music movement with Chris Williamson. Um, she and her partner, Ann Hackler have this, uh, this women's rock camp in, uh, Western Massachusetts. And so she's been working for decades and uh, she felt, uh, singed. I think they all did by the fact that Fanny was this up and coming act. Um, they were great. They were, if you listen to those, those, first four or five records, uh, one produced by Todd Rundgren, one worked with Jeff Emmerich, who just passed away, sadly, yeah, at Apple. Yeah. Uh, uh, they, they worked with the biggest names, they toured with the biggest names, and they made these great rock records. I mean, and, you know, they were just forgotten. And so, you know, now have sort of been uh, brought back to the fore a bit, and I think more all the time. June just wrote a, a memoir a couple years ago. Um, so yeah, so Fanny again, they they really deserve credit. I think they were they were the first one. Of, there were three all girl bands signed in the '60s. One was uh, Goldie and the Gingerbreads. One was Fanny. Oh, and one was the Pleasure Seekers with Susie mm -hmm. Quattro. Mm -hmm. So you know they were originators, and they just they were forgotten by history, and that wasn't right. So I had to put them in. You know, I think uh, David Bowie once was asked what his favorite band was at a time, and he said Fanny. Correct. That is right. They they did get a lot of love from uh, from their fellow musicians, um, but you know, I guess not enough from. 
uh, I'm not sure why why it fell apart when it did because well, they should. Yeah, sometimes I, you know, I, I'm sure there's a, a little uh, misogyny going on at the time, um, but also, um, you know, some artists can push the envelope a little bit beyond what the public might be ready for, uh, and and then you know they end up becoming quite influential after the fact. I mean, uh, I, I think you you may say this in the Fanny section and that, you know, uh, you know, uh, the Velvet Underground's first album, uh, you know, which is a quote attributed to uh, Brian Eno, uh, you know, sold maybe 30,000 copies, but uh, everybody who bought one started a band. Yeah, that's somewhere in the book. I forget which which artist I saddled that with, <laughs> with, but it's definitely in there. But you're you're right, and I think that as an all girl band, and this was true of the Pleasure Seekers and Goldie and the Gingerbreads too, there were things expected of women and not expected of women, and I I don't think people knew what to make of all girl bands. Um, they were such a novelty, and instead of just letting them rock, they treated them like a novelty, or they tried to um, put them in sex or clothes. They, they did all kinds of things that just didn't work. I think if they just let them rock, it, it might have worked out uh, sooner. But now we know, you know, and now Fanny is, has a new incarnation called Fanny Walk the Earth. So they're still making music and I'm glad their early stuff is being rediscovered too. Yeah. Well, and from Fanny and uh, some of those other uh, uh, all-girl rock bands uh, comes the next sample that I want to talk about from your book. And uh, one, unlike the Sacramento ladies who went on to rule the charts a couple of times uh, in their career, and that is the Seattle Sisters of Heart, Anne and Nancy Wilson. Who are so badass. I mean, they... <laughs> yeah. And so fascinating too. They're, they came from I mean, a, mili a military family. Their dad was uh, in, so they had this like fortitude about themselves, the way they conducted themselves, the way they approached the, the business. They, they wouldn't let themselves be abused. And like Anne, when someone made some horrible comment to her, um, she went home and wrote Barracuda. I mean, what, <laughs> what revenge is sweet. I mean, that, so these women were really extraordinary. And what, what's really strikes me about heart especially is because so many rock and roll greats from seattle have died all guys heart is still they're still at it they're making music separately now but they're still yeah, at it a little it. contention between the sisters uh, at the but back. i read they're getting back together soon they're they're really? making peace now which i'm very happy to hear oh yeah i mean come on it's family right yeah so, uh, uh shit happens and uh <laughs> you, know, you get over it so um I'm going to make you pick a favorite because I can't. Uh, so, like I said, we can't talk about everyone in the book, although we're doing pretty well so far. Uh, Linda Ronstant or Bonnie Raitt? Oh, my God. That is Sophie's choice. How can you do that to me? <laughs> I love both of those women so much. I, uh, ah, I mean, I, I don't know. I can't. Can we talk a little bit about both? I mean, Linda Ronstadt did everything. She did everything from country to, I mean, she put the Eagles together for yeah. crying out loud. Yeah. Uh, and then on to uh, working with Nelson Riddle and then opera and ranchera. I mean, she's done it all um, only to like have the tragedy of losing her voice to, uh, to Parkinson's and still being grateful for the fact that she can even walk. I mean, you know, she's so filled with, with gratitude. Well, she's um, speaking to her right now, uh, you know, yeah. talking about the stories and, you know, how these albums were made and, uh, you know, her life. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a, at least she can get some of that done. Yeah. And props to her for writing a, a book, a memoir that's all about music. I mean, everyone wants to know the salacious stuff. Who did you date? Who did you do drugs with? And, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't write about it. She's still friends with her exes. She's still friends with J.D. Souther and with Jerry Brown and all these men she, she did. I mean, they're, they're all still buds. So yeah, yeah. I think she, she did a very, you know, she took the high road and I respect that. Um, not, I mean, the low road's fine too, but whatever. Uh, but Bonnie Raitt too. Oh my God. Raised a Quaker, uh, social consciousness actually built into her 
her whole life. Um, she's done so much for other people. And in the book, there's the story of her and Sippy Wallace, who was a, another blues great, who Bonnie Raitt went, she found, she she brought her out on tour and the two became almost like family. And they, they toured uh, on and off for 10 years. And she brought Sippy on to the David Letterman show in 1982, I think, 82 or 83, when it first started. It was brand new. You know, Bonnie Raitt wasn't exactly a household name when she did that. And here yeah. she was giving giving her time to one of her her blues heroes yeah you know it i, I can see it's 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 tough to, to to pick it's tough to narrow it down um and uh you know we just had to talk about both i just had to put it out there to make it difficult for you so <laughs> thanks I, a lot i, 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 I love them both <laughs> i love these women so much they're so extraordinary and their their stories are so cool all right, but I, I'm going to challenge your list a bit here. You include okay. the Runaways, but really, shouldn't it just be Joan Jett? Well, uh, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> um, I think Lita Ford is a really important person too, because how many metal female metal guitarists are there? You know, um, and the story of the Runaways a lot more today than than at the time that uh, right. was out there doing it uh, during the hair metal period. Yes, exactly. And in a way, thanks to to Lita Ford. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was important. And also, I really wanted to capture that that early seventies rock and roll scene in Los Angeles. That was um, it was part glitter and part uh, hard rock and part baby groupies and part art project. I mean, it was so interesting and weird. And, um, well, you know, you're, you're based in California that, that these, uh, slices of history in Los Angeles are, are interesting. They only happen every so often. And that was one of them I thought was cool to capture. So yeah, that's surrounding uh, Roddy Bingenheimer's, uh, what was that? London fog and, uh, all of that. The that's disco. Yeah. Oh, the disco, Whatever. Uh, English disco, right. English disco. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and also because Sandy West, um, who was the runaways drummer, she had a really sad end to her life. I mean, she ended up in, in trouble and in jail and, and she ended up dying very young. And I wanted to, honor her too because she was uh one of those people who few talk about but she occupies this this space that um i think is important and i don't want her to be forgotten mm -hmm. do you think the runaways um you know achieved something different than maybe fanny or uh susie quattro or some of the others did uh because they weren't really the first but they were a a, a very uh particular feminine band that was selling sex just as well as the guys were at the time that's a really interesting question, and I don't think I put it in the book, but I I know June Millington of Fanny has told the story that um, uh, Kim Fowley walked into Fanny's dressing room and said, I'm going to do exactly what you do, but I'm going to make money. And so he put the runaways together thereafter, and and that was the goal. It was like – you know, it started with with that intention. It wasn't just, you know, girls getting together to rock, although it kind of was that, too. Um, but, yeah, it's like the Madonna question. Is Madonna a feminist for doing all the stuff she did in the 80s or is she exploitative? I mean, I don't know. I guess that's I mean, that's a question, I guess best answered by the artists themselves you know would i dress up in uh like sherry sherry curie and you know wear a camisole and garter belt on stage no but that was her choice so yeah, yeah. Uh, it worked for her she seemed comfortable in it and uh you know didn't give a shit and isn't that part of rock and roll it's all about freedom uh, and expression right. right and they were teenagers i mean think about you know everybody does stuff when they're a teenager you're you're i mean even wanda jackson if you think about it she was a teenager when she went into Capitol Records and said, I want to sing, let's have a party. I want to do this song. I mean, so sometimes being a bold teenager, it works in, in rock and roll especially. I mean, if it's going to work anywhere, that's where it's going to work. Well, let me change gears a bit for a moment and uh, just talk about women in rock in general. It's pretty obvious that at the start, it was just a man's world. But slowly, women uh, are let in the door. Well, uh, maybe they just had to kick it in. But now, if you look... They definitely the, had to kick it in. definitely had to kick it in. <laughs> but now, if you, if you look at the pop charts, uh, it is completely dominated by women. Uh, so kind of a dual question. Do you lament the fact so many girls were denied the opportunity that that guys were in the booming period of pop music? 
you mean the booming period, like the... Yeah, you know, uh, I, I, let, let's say February 9th, 1964 is the nuclear bomb that goes off that, you know, the next day everybody, uh, every every guy, you know, gets a guitar. Uh, and, uh, you know, that for the next um, uh, 15 to 20 years is the, you know, the classic rock period. You know, it's funny because that right prior to the British invasion was the heyday of girl groups where you find your your Ronnie Spector and the Crystals and the Shangri-Las and all these very who became very influential. Um, But the British invasion kind of they they fell in love with the girl groups, but then they kind of wiped them off the charts, didn't they? They did. So I wonder if it if it's, you know, perhaps. It was an American thing. I, maybe it was a British thing, too. I mean, Marianne Faithful's in the book, and her story is uh, when you compare it with uh, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, you know, she kind of went south while they were flying high. Um, I think it was a lot of cultural things that were uh, preventing women from entering that pop music world and and succeeding and i just i think there were a lot of obstacles including you know all these preconceived notions about what you were supposed to do and be in that era you know now it seems ridiculous um but then i'm i'm sure it felt very real i'm sure it did uh, okay, just because she's one of my all-time favorites and wholly unique. Again, we're talking only fifty spots, um, but why the inclusion of Susie Sue? Another great question. Um, Susie Sue, she uh, she was sort of like the godmother of so much of um, modern uh, music, pop, goth, dance. Um, her style was certainly unique and extraordinary. She's a, an interesting story. And she wrote really harrowing lyrics. I mean, the, the story is about what happened to her when she was a child and all this trauma is in the book. And, um, it, you know, she made this very unique music. And I, I looked for artists. I mean, there were so many punk rock women, really women, when women busted out, was during the 70s, the, the punk era, uh, or the, one of the times in rock and roll. Yeah. And I, I had, you know, I wanted to pick someone who who made, actually a, a few different artists who made these very unique sounds. And um, she, was she was one of them. She was the very beginning. Uh, you know, oh, sure. She, she was hanging around uh, the uh, uh, Vivian Westwood, Malcolm McLaren shop, uh, Sex. And uh, in fact, I, I think uh, she's standing behind the Sex Pistols at a couple of uh, photographs and, uh, and interviews, uh, if I remember right, before she becomes part of the Banshees. Well, yeah, there, there's that that one like that first concert where Susie kind of played, and it and Marco from who would later become Adam, yeah, Adam and the Ants, right? Yeah, drummer was on drums, and she didn't really sing. She ranted some poetry, but the Clash played that day, and the Sex Pistols, and it was like that first gig that kind of launched punk, everything. Yeah, English punk, yeah. And also, Susie was part of um, the Bromley contingent, which was were these. Not really suburban. I guess you could liken it to the sort of rough neighborhoods that used to be around Boston proper. That that's sort of like the English equivalent. But they love fashion and they love David Bowie, and these kids like they dress wild. And the press started following them around, and so part of the quote unquote punk rock explosion was Susie Sue and uh, Steve Severin and a bunch of other folks dressing in these outlandish ways and uh, journalists writing about it. So I think a lot of the attention that uh, that's heaped upon uh, the UK punk explosion. A lot of it, I don't think it would have happened in the same way had it not been for this Bromley contingent. So, you know, we are, as we talked about, you know, definitely, um, uh, you know, in the mid-60s uh, with the British invasion, uh, it does sort of wipe out, uh, you know, uh, the, the girl groups um, most famous from, from Motown. Uh, but um, uh, now we're, we're in the 80s here. Uh, and as, a, as, a, as, as you, you put the book together, it's kind of it's in chronological order, although it doesn't have to be read that way. Uh, and um, now we, we do see an explosion of... Of, of women performers uh, in rock and roll. Um, so because I can't, I'm going to make you choose again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to make it harder this time because I'm, okay. I'm going to throw three amazing performers at you here. Oh, Addie boy. Smith, Chrissy Hine or Deborah Harry. Oh, that this one hurts. 
Um, you know, I, I, I absolutely love Deborah Harry. I've interviewed her. She's, she's so cool. Um, but I think I have to talk about Chrissy Hine because, um, Ohio girl moves to England, wants so badly to be a rock and roller and tries everything for years. I mean, who was more determined than, uh, than Chrissy Hine played with everyone. And all of a sudden she sees all her friends succeeding. The, everyone gets a record deal, but her, and then finally, uh, she finds these guys three hours out of London and they're not punk rock musicians. They're extraordinary musicians. They're amazing. Uh, Martin Chambers, J- uh, James Honeyman Scott and, uh, and Pete Farnton. Yeah. Pete Farnton. I mean, right, right. Jim Honeyman Scott, one of the most underrated guitar players in history. Oh, I mean, that's and died sad, a sad, totally tragic. Oh, my God. So, you know, she finally finds this, this, group of guys and they make an album that is so stark and so brutal and so different from anything um i think even before or since you know that first pretenders album oh it's it's it's, it's so unique it, it's it's definitely uh at the top of my playlist so yeah so i gotta give it up for for chrissy High and also a survivor because you know half her band od'd and she kept going and she kept making music and she's still she is still staying relevant touring she toured for most of this year and i think she's going to be 70 if she didn't already turn 70 i think she's already 70 yeah uh a crazy amazing um uh and i know you didn't want to pick but i'm glad you picked that one I love her. So I really like how the book is chronological, but you don't have to read it that way. Um, obviously, we're sort of sort of going through it uh, today like that. Uh, but when you can skip around and just grab a bite of inspiration by opening it up anywhere. So tell us about putting the book together. How, how long did it take? How long have you been working on it? It took about a year to actually research and write and, and all that. Um, but I mean, I've kind of been working on it my whole life because I've before I had uh, I did this radio job. I was a magazine writer and an editor, and I I did I've been interviewing bands for a really long time, and I've interviewed everybody, many of them multiple times, and um, I had all these stories that hadn't had anywhere to go, so. I've been thinking about this book for, in fact, many years ago, my agent and I pitched a similar book and, you know, in the classic story, it gets passed on twice by every publishing house. <laughs> right, right. Um, and so, yeah, so it, it took about a year, but there's there's a lot more into it than that. All right. Last game. Sydney okay. Lopper or Annie Lennox? Oh, my God. You're killing me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. All right. All right. I love them both, but I got to give it up for Cindy because uh, for the the sheer uniqueness of her, um, the artistry, I I mean, really, oh, God, both of them. But I I love Cindy Lauper. I mean, I've interviewed her a number of times and she's absolutely delightful. And she also devotes so much of her time to charitable works, as does Annie Lennox, who has her own NGO. Um, But I don't know, something, I mean, Cindy Lauper, when she first uh, exploded onto the scene, uh, everyone thought that she would be like the big pop star. Right. But they thought, actually, they thought Madonna was the novelty and Cindy was going to be the the one with the lasting career, which she did have. But it, it looked different than people thought because Cindy made really interesting choices. She recorded what she wanted to when she wanted to make a country album. She made a country album. She wanted to make a blues album. She made a blues album. So she, uh, she really, she took her own path and yet she's still, um, as, as relevant as ever. And, um, artists make hard choices, I guess is my point. And, you know, she took the, the path that felt the most authentic to her. And so I, I really admire her for that. All right, so now this woman is really obscure, so let's bring her into the light and let me have you talk about Kathleen Hanna from uh, Bikini Kills. Oh, well, you know, she has a whole movie made about her now, the <laughs> the punk rock singer. Um, well, actually, it's been about five years since that came out. But, yeah, she is she is fairly obscure still to, I guess, a mass audience, as was Riot Girl. Um Riot Girl is really interesting because it, when it happened, there was a, a backlash – against feminism that I think uh, 
was even maybe partly because women were so much a part of the punk explosion of the 70s and 80s. By the time we got to the 90s, um, there are uh, books being written um, uh, about the end of second wave feminism. Anita Hill is being grilled uh, during the Clarence Thomas hearings. And uh, punk rock began to become violent and women didn't have a place in, in punk rock, really. I mean, this music that these girls had grown up listening to and loved had now edged them out. And Kathleen Hanna got up on stage and she said, girls to the front, boys to the back. And that was radical and really interesting. And it gave girls like a space where they could dance, where they could enjoy a band, where they could speak uh, their stories. And that really, it hadn't happened before. Not like that. And so, and yet by the end of the nineties, Riot Girl had fallen apart and the Spice Girls were considered feminism. So, you know, <laughs> it, it's only now that like, we're looking at Riot Girl and, and re-examining it and, and thinking, wow, you know, at the time, uh, you know, a lot of journalists kind of marginalized them and called them angry women and, and demeaned them in various ways, maybe without meaning to, but maybe mm-hmm. not. Um, but it took a long time for, for people to reevaluate Riot Girl and realize that it's really important. Did you see that misogyny in the journalism at the time? Because you were, you were doing the same thing about the same time, right? Um, it's funny. I, I kept getting asked to write the same Angry Women in Rock article over and over and over. <laughs> and, really? And it was, well, yeah. I, I mean, there were more more women rock writers, but not as many as there are now. Um and so it was it it felt it did felt a little bit like I was being asked to marginalize something that I was part of. And it was weird. And I, I tried not to do that. Um, and I, I tried not to do that by just putting it in context, you know, putting it in a the social and cultural context to show that, you know, and, and also to compare. Why are you why did you call uh, this musician angry? And this musician isn't angry, even though he's clearly expressing a lot of rage. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, yeah. yeah, I tried not to write that article repeatedly back then. Well, that's good. Good. Good for you. So. All right. So, you know, this it, it, the, the book is, is really, um, uh, you know, it, 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 I can't imagine trying to narrow it down. Uh, you know, as I went through it, I, you know, I would see um, where somebody should fit in the in that chronological timeline um but you know they they were missing um so it it, it is it is it, it's got to be incredibly difficult but i have to ask about two hugely popular and influential women today that are not in the book and get your thoughts on why because i'm sure they were somewhere on the list at one time and I, I ask this because an, another interesting facet about the book is the the list of those who influenced uh, that particular artist, uh, or uh, then a list of who they who they influenced. Um, so the first voice missing for me, at least is Adele. And I mean, you, you have both Aretha and Janis Joplin included, and their voices are singular, but isn't Adele's? I really wanted to include Adele. Um, and wh- when we were narrowing down the, the list, um, all these artists were sort of um, – they were sort of creating an arc or various arcs. And so Adele, I mean, she's really a pop and R&B singer, which – I mean, the argument could be made that, that some of the artists in the book do pop and R&B. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't call her a rock and roll artist. Um, I mean, she's a great artist and, and her, her voice is, is extraordinary, but if I put her in, I I felt like I would have had to put this sort of other arc of pop and R and B artists who I would have loved to write about. Um, but when we started kind of stripping away at it, that was, that was part of the calculation was like, well, what impact on rock and roll, uh, has she had and has, you know, has, has this particular sort of lineage of artists had. So that's why she's not there. I would have loved to put her in there. Well, I, you know, is there much of an impact to be had on 
quote unquote rock and roll. Uh, you know, I think we've kind of moved into a, a, a new story, a, a new form of music. And I, I don't know if we've got a, a good name for it yet. Um, uh, you know, I, one, of, one of my conceits is that, uh, you know, rock and roll as a cultural uh, art form kind of became passe uh, in the in the late '90s, and I, I usually use more of a, a technological and cultural reasoning for that. Um, uh, but I, I see your point. Uh, you know, uh, I, I think uh, you know uh, you would agree with me that her voice is uh, you know fits in that uh, pantheon of people like uh, uh, Aretha or or, or Janice. Um, but uh, you know, um, uh, because of you know her today. Uh, in the uh, swimming in the uh, the the music pool that exists is quite different than uh, you know maybe Aretha or Janice so that one that that makes sense. All right, the second because I went through the book the first time and and noticed the, that influence by and who they influenced and I thought well Lady Gaga's a list of influenced should take up an entire page. So why not uh, what might be the most white hot talent and future influencer on the planet for the last 10 years not make it? You know, Lady Gaga, too, was on that that sort of arc with Adele. And I really wanted to put her in the book because she's such a unique artist um, and had a star is born come out a year ago. I might have been able to make a better case <laughs> for Lady Gaga role movie. Right, right, right. Yeah. But when you think about it, I mean, oh, Barbara, no. Stry- Barbara Streisand, not no, a rock and roller no. and she was I, in that no. one in the seventies, much to my chagrin, wow. me who loves Chris Christopherson. Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, even the when you look at Bette Midler and the Rose, Bette Midler, not a rock and roller no, no, at all. No, but um, I, have either one of them uh, fronted Metallica. Well, that's true. <laughs> um, I really look, I did want to put I, I wanted to put Gaga in. But then when we we talked about all these artists that had made a mark in primarily pop dance, R&B. Um, and then when I, I thought about the younger artists like Haley Williams of Paramore, um, who is really a, a kind of emo punk rock pop artist. And then, uh, even a, a newer band like Screaming Females, um, Brittany Howard from Alabama Shakes. I mean, to me, these are like women who were making rock and roll now, young women making rock. So, yes, I want I was dying to write about Gaga and Adele and um, not that they need the love. <laughs> I mean, they're certainly <laughs> no, fine. No, they, um, no, they don't. But, you know, but I, yeah. I, you know, of of what is happening in in music uh, today, um, you know, there, there are obviously a few other voices that could be added. Uh, but, you know, to just to, to my ears, um, those two really, really stand out uh, and, and seem to fit in this book uh, that where maybe some others uh, didn't. Like, like you mentioned Barbara Streisand. I, I would never think of her in in this book. Um, but those two, I kind of... Yeah, me like, neither. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but well, that's two, the thing. The other thing is, I mean, those two are huge artists. And I really, I wanted this to be a balance of, of yeah. huge artists, um, sort of artists who have had an impact and aren't a household name, but are known by some, and then some more obscure artists. Um, and today, I mean, fame is such a different thing than it used to be, where, you know, a band like Paramore can sell out an arena, and many people haven't ever heard of them, and yet they've sold millions of albums and have, you know, 26 million likes on Facebook. Um, but so most people probably wouldn't recognize them by name or uh, Haley Williams by name. Um, so I, I wanted it to be a balance, too, of that famous, obscure, um, but all influential. Well, we, we miss so many names, but, um, you know, that's why people should go out and grab this book for themselves. Uh, if we had more time, I'd, I'd add Karen O of the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, uh, you know, obviously M- Melissa Etheridge, uh, Susan Tedeschi, Amy Winehouse, L7, PJ Harvey, um, you know, all 50 if we could have got to them. Uh, but I, I, I love how you started with Sister Rosetta Tharp and you end with her direct musical descendant, Brittany Howard. Uh, it has been a long time since uh, on that very first listen of uh, Hold On. I, I had chills run down my spine and the hairs on the back of my neck rise while tears of joy welled up. Um, it was just a, a great way to end. So let's let's talk about Brittany. 
Oh, Brittany Howard is so extraordinary. I mean, she she grew up um, in uh, in the, the rural South in Alabama, an hour from Muscle Shoals, without even really realizing um, how important that was until later. Um, she, she grew up, uh, sort of, I I always think about her and Rosetta Tharp as, you know, Rosetta Tharp got out of the South when she was six, you know, Brittany Howard's right. right. And so, and began her career, Brittany Howard stayed and grew up there. Mm. And so music was her South is, it's evolved quite a bit since. Uh, oh well, yeah, that's that's that is true. Um, but I mean, she, she, Brittany Howard, really like she grew up at the end of a gravel road near like a, uh, a junkyard basically, and and had music and her sister to entertain her, and so, um, she kind of discovered rock and roll on her own. Then she drove a mail truck for years and didn't have a radio. And while she was driving this truck, was like thinking about the music she wanted to make and, um, uh, and all the stuff, the, all the knowledge of, um, the, the cultural significance and all that stuff came later for her. You know, when she was a kid, she was just like learning Led Zeppelin riffs on guitar. Yeah. And then four years after she begins recording is playing in front of Robert Plant. So her, her journey was, <laughs> it was, was quick and extraordinary and her voice is unique and her, her looks are unique and everything about her, um, is is just like she's this singular talent and then she has all these other bizarre side projects that i i mentioned in the book too she's just this wildly creative person but yeah i mean the way she she plays rosetta tharp's guitar they both love to go fishing uh they both wore capes on stage i mean some of it superficial um but some of it very very deep you know about about growing up where they did and uh coming from where they did and that being part of of the art and i i loved opening the book with one and closing it with the other because it, it is to me that that made uh the ultimate arc and that's what i was trying to do yeah well you achieved that uh but after talking with you for about an hour i'm afraid that uh, you have lost some of your sanity trying to narrow it down to 50 <laughs> I, know. I absolutely did and so did my editors i mean the, all of us we really uh it was it was very hard hey maybe there'll be part two i don't I, know my last question was so when is the follow-up coming as soon as I recover, <laughs> <laughs> after after long uh, long years of therapy, right? Right. So, exactly. And, and we know we know what you're uh, you're you're doing next. You are uh, delving into a, a, a book on Aretha Franklin. Yes, that will be out in December, really? I believe. Oh, actually, that it's, quick. Oh, it's already so it's, done. It's done. Oh, it was in the works. I was they. It was in the works. They really liked the chapter about Aretha in the book. And I wanted to do something a little bit different. So I, in my book is, it's a four part, it's four essays, one about her and Detroit, because she had this extraordinary relationship with the city of Detroit. Yeah, she did. Um, And then her whole life. Yeah. Yeah. And was very, very devoted to it. And, um, and the, the civil rights and her dad and all the stuff that happened in Detroit, the, the March for Freedom, how uh, Martin Luther King did his speech there, the I Have a Dream speech before he did it in D.C., a lot of things in there. Um, and then her, a lot of the things she did, she, Aretha quietly gave a lot of money and time and resources to uh, to charity. She helped a lot of people. Quiet. And she did Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. She did it on the down low and, and people didn't know about it. You know, they would see her eccentric diva behavior. And there is an essay about being a diva and what that means and where that comes from. Um, and part of the fun about that was I got to write about Clara Ward and uh, Mahalia Jackson and these these gospel divas who really, you know, sort of started a re- foundation for her. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, and then there's an essay about the music, because, of course, that's the, the most important part. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I never loved a man. Uh, it's just, you know, that's, that's, that's what comes as soon as you mention Aretha, you know, you, you, you just go to so many songs, but I, to me, that one just splits between, uh, you know, the, the early Aretha and then, you know, when she becomes uh, the goddess that we all know her as. So can't wait to, to read your book. 
that was the song about that was the song that got recorded at Muscle Shoals yep. that day. Yeah, the one right. song. And yep. boy, does it sound like <laughs> Swampers with Spooner Oldham's World Sir and it, it's magical that song. That's oh. and that's that session was magical. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh we uh yeah, one one of our shows is uh, a complete retelling of the history of rock and roll called the Rock and Roll Archaeology Podcast. And uh we uh we devote uh, uh an episode to Aretha and that moment is like the key moment in the episode that's just uh it again uh you know raises the the hairs on the back of your neck uh, every time you uh, you hear it so that is a great moment one of rock and roll's greatest moments no of, doubt of all time yeah meredith oaks thanks so much for being with us on deeper digs and rock today thank you great to be here was great <laughs> we uh we probably say this a little too often but this time seriously no hyper exaggeration that was a fantastic interview uh it wrapped all the way back around pretty nicely too wouldn't you say uh you can pretty much draw a straight line from sister rosetta tharp back in the 40s and 50s to one of our current favorites Brittany howard and the alabama shakes once again, the book is Rock and Roll Woman, The 50 Fiercest Female Rockers. The author is Meredith Oaks, and you can pick it up at your local bookstore or at the usual online booksellers. Thank you so much, Meredith Oaks, for spending some time with us and sharing your insights. And thank you for listening. I'm Christian Swain, and this has been Deeper Digs and Rock, a production of Pantheon Podcasts. Thank you again, and come on back real soon. All right, keep up the rockin'. I knew he must have been about 17 strong Play my favorite song And I could tell it would be long That he was with me Yeah, me And I could tell it would be long That he was with me Yeah, me Singing Hey, diggers. Christian Swain here with a short pause for a great cause. We believe music education for young people is an investment in a better future for all of us. If you listen to our podcasts, chances are you agree. Little Kids Rock has transformed the lives of more than 650,000 public school students by bringing music education into their schools. Little Kids Rock trains teachers in underfunded schools to teach kids the music they love. From the Beatles to Bruno Mars, Led Zeppelin to Lady Gaga, Chuck Berry to Chance the Rapper. Little Kids Rock has become a national movement to restore, expand, and innovate music education in public schools across America. Visit littlekidsrock.org and learn more about how you can help put music where it belongs, in our schools. Thank you, and let's keep up the rockin' right into the next generation. Deeper Digs in Rock, produced and hosted by Christian Swain. All sound design and incidental music by Busy Signal Studios. All quotes performed by actors unless noted. Playlists can be found at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please purchase these great and important tracks. All songs, clips, and references can be found on our show notes. Please visit rnrap.com for more information. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 